All right, Christy Piero, I'm excited to talk with you today uh, about truths and trends in player development and leadership. And when looking at your, you know, uniquely diverse range of experiences, uh, I think you have a, a really interesting perspective to look at, look at these things. And for those of you who don't know your, your coaching path or your journey, it's really interesting where you've been a, an assistant coach, a head coach in management, you've been an athletic director, and you've done it on all different levels from high school, university, junior A, major junior, uh, the NHL as a scout, the NLA in the top league in Switzerland, international competition with the Holinka Gretzky tournament. Um, and, and through all those different lenses of coach and management and athletic director, you, you've seen it in different ways. And um, I think that range is quite unique. And um, what I'd like to do is just start at the beginning here for a moment. And so when you, you played at University of Toronto, correct? Correct. Yep. Yep. Long time ago. Yeah. And, and then you played a little bit of pro and then, and then you jumped right in. You're, you must have been pretty young when you started with U of T. First off, thank you for having me, TJ. It's a topic of obviously within hockey that I thoroughly enjoy. And uh, so thank you for having me. And, uh, you know, I, I think back to those days when I played it, uh, played hockey at the University of Toronto. Um, There's an assistant coach with the York University uh, Yeoman at the time, uh, currently the Lions, uh, Tim Manisterski, and I know uh, that's your, you know, your dad, and I know he also was head coach with the women's team there for a long time, and uh, so certainly I, that's how I, I kind of got to know your dad first, and then obviously later on yourself. So it's kind of kind of cool to to make this circle cut. So, um, while I was playing, I was always I, I'd always had this thought process of of you know wanting to get into coaching, managing, whatever it may be. It was just, it was, I mean, I wanted to stay in the game because it was certainly a love, you know, great game, love the game, love the people in the game. So it's always been something that uh, has been a passion of mine. Um, so while I was, while I was going through school uh, at the university level, I'd always, you know, whatever we would do at practices, I'd write down stuff. Um, you know, when I was, you know, whenever, however we would, you know, if, if the team was on a, you know, two, three, four game winning or losing streak, whatever, I'd always kind of write stuff down and notes and, you know, what the coach said, what the coaches did, uh, what we did in practices and those kinds of things. So I was trying to set myself up for, for something beyond, you know, um, didn't know when that was going to be. So yeah, as you mentioned, I had an opportunity. I'd always wanted to, to try to play in Europe and, uh, you know, um, so I had an opportunity to do that for, for one season in, uh, in the second division in Italy. Um, great experience. Um, you know, it was just one of those things where we just, okay, got it done and, you know, came back and had an opportunity at that time to jump in as an assistant coach at the University of Toronto. And, uh, you know, I think from that perspective, um, you know, I was like the fourth assistant. So I was the guy, you know, just just kind of being around, dropping pucks at the end of practice for centermen and just helping up pushing pucks at practice, but just being a sounding board really for the players at that time because I was close in age, as you mentioned, being kind of young at the time. But, you know, your suggestion maker and the head coach is the – the decision maker and I think there's a big difference there so um while I was an assistant coach for four years at U of T I kind of you know at that point in time thought I'd be ready to make the jump and then you know got an opportunity to become a head coach at, at the junior A level and uh here in Ontario with the Brampton Capitals and uh you know and then moved on you know to subsequent other opportunities with St. Michael's Buzzers and so on so yeah right and what's really interesting about about the hockey world 
is is the relationships and you mentioned my dad and how you and I first connected and then when when you when I went through and looked at the different um, experiences you've had as a coach and as a player um, the, the the connections are actually deeper than I even realized the, the first one being so the first national championship game I ever saw in Canadian university sports was uh, at Maple Leaf Gardens and it was University of Toronto uh, against Acadia now were you a part of U of T at that game I was not so I, I, I was one year removed I just got back from playing in Italy and uh, yeah so then that so I was I, I gradu graduated the year previous right so then there's that, that buffer year where I was in in Italy then so you, you probably dodged a bullet because I think the score was 12 to 1 for Acadia in the it was. <laughs> <laughs> when you got to Brampton you also coached another a couple guys one uh, Trevor Large head coach yep. at Canisius College yeah Trevor was uh he was a great player for us that year. He had uh, he had a great year the year before, um, and then when we when I came in came on board, um, he was just a good leader. Um, just just a great uh, understated the way he played, very kind of quiet guy, but just went out and played, worked hard. As I said, just a great leader, and uh, um, went off and I believe played a fair state, and um, you know had a, had a good college career. And I guess yeah, now the head coach of Canisius. Yeah, yeah, and then. So then you made the move to St. Mike's and you were there, you had great success. You had you know, coach of the year a couple of times, I believe a, a couple of championships, coached two of my college roommates, uh, Tony D'Annunzio and Mark Lotze. Um, and in the same breath, I'll say Andrew Cogliano, um, <laughs> you know, an elite player, obviously, uh, in the National Hockey League. And then uh, moved on to Oshawa Generals as assistant GM, assistant coach, moved into the role of head coach and general manager, uh, coached the likes of John Tavares um, in Oshawa. Um, we're there for a little while. Um, and I guess in coaching, sometimes those things come to an end and, and then you, you're able to, I guess, return to St. Mike's, um, was coach the high school team at the time and, and also scout with the Penguins. That's right. So I read, I, I, uh, Left St. Mike's, left the buzzers in 2006, um, and then uh, went to Oshawa and was there until 2012. So 2012, returned to St. Mike's and coached their prep school team, um, won the Ontario Championship in, uh, in 2014. Um, and, and in that span, I also, for four years, was a part-time uh, amateur scout with the Penguins and, and the NHL as well. Right. And then, uh, you know, from there, you, you had the opportunity to go to Lugano in the NLA, uh, spent last season there. Uh, now you're back at St. Mike's again. And, uh, you know, ultimately, full circle, according to Elite Prospects, you're also coaching a, a Wee AA team right now. <laughs> no, I was, uh, I was helping out with my son's midget A team. So. Oh, that's what it was. Yeah. So. You've seen coaching, coaching's coaching regardless. Exactly. So my, my first, like my the thing that I I'm really interested in here is like, you've seen, you see everything from, you know, your, your, this, the midget minor hockey with, and obviously as a, as a dad watching your, you know, your kid grow up through it, but then the truly elite, right? Like John Tavares, for example, um, you know, Cogliano who, who was close to being the Ironman, you know, in the NHL. And um, what, what in your eyes sort of separates like, cause you also coached a lot of really good players that went on, had great careers, like, like Trevor Large, college hockey player, 
other guys who had great careers in the OHL and, and other pros that, that had a career of pro hockey but didn't get to the NHL. And then, but then there's those guys that, that we mentioned, like Cogliano, like Tavares, and then some of those guys on your the U18 Team Canada that you coach. Like, what separates those, those really special, like those top flight NHL players from everybody else? I love the question and um, certainly love, would love, you know, continue discussing this. It's uh, for me, I mean, there's the obvious talent that an elite player has to have. Talent is always there. But I think the biggest separator between the elite player and who has talent versus the, the good player who has talent is just a work ethic. And I, and I always say it's a love of the game. Um, the ones that love the game, to them, it's, it's, you know, doing the work is part of becoming elite. It's who they are. It's in their DNA. Um, you don't have to tell them what to do. You don't, like, I never had to tell John Tavares to work hard. He was always the hardest working guy, the most prepared, you know, was always asking questions, was always, you know, seeking out new ways and trying to get better, whether it be through video, through discussions, through on ice after practice. Nobody had to tell John Tavares to do that. So his, his way, his leadership wasn't so much a vocal leadership. It was just a demonstrative leadership where he pulled players with them. So if the, if the best player in the ECHL at that time is doing the things he's doing, well, then, you know, that fourth liner who's a rookie can do the same things. Andrew Cognano was the same thing. Every practice, he, was just, he, was, he just went out and did what he needed to do. Um, and it's, it's, I think it's driven out of the pure love. And I think you know, when you start reading about, you know, the greats in any sport or any, any kind of athlete or any, any walk of life, it's, it's the passion, it's the love um, that drives them. Um, they certainly have a talent, but, you know, um, I mean, there's, there's sports are riddled with players who maybe not have as, you know, great talent, but certainly because of the love, the passion and the drive, they, they, they're able to su succeed or excel. And, uh, I mean, that's a rabbit hole I love going down too because I think it's important that not everybody's going to have a talent of John Tavares or, you know, or, or the elite players, but they're, they're going to have that love of the game, um, the love of the pursuit, the drive, again, that passion. They're going to do what they need to do to succeed and, and get to where they want to be, wherever that level is. Some it's going to be the NHL, some it's going to be another notch below, but as long as they keep, you know, pursuing and have that love, great things will happen. Now, when you're when – you're working for the Penguins or the Generals and um, you're, you're kind of creating your identity. Like, this is an Oshawa General or this is a, a Pittsburgh Penguin and, and you're defining a value of like basically what you value as a team. I mean, if you were starting a team right now and, and you were owner, GM, head coach, right? Like what are, what are like the most important ingredients to you? I love a uh, great question. And, and I, I, it's a topic that I love speaking about because for me, I mean, even I, I, I'll take you back to 1999 when I took over the St. Michael's Buzzers expansion team. And for me, it was, I mean, I always sat there and like, I wanted speed, skill and hockey smarts. And then along the way, I started saying, okay, speed and skill, hockey smarts are one, are one thing, but I, I want character as well. So, I mean, those are, those are kind of four things right there. Um, but speed and skill, with, you know, you, you can be the fastest player to the wrong spot. Right. So that's why I wanted hockey smarts. But then you want, you know, I, I, I kind of, as you, as you tease it out, you sit there and say, okay, you can be the fastest player of the right spot, be in the hockey smarts, but then you lose the battle. What happens then? 
now that some players lose the battle, they just give up or some players kind of lose the battle, but they're coming back at you. So that's where the character piece for me comes in. And I just think as time went on, I realized character is such a big, big piece. Be very specific and be very deliberate about it. You know, I think sometimes we get pulled away by, you know, the, the shiny, you know, the shiny object. And sometimes that shiny object doesn't always necessarily fit into the culture or the environment or the identity you want. And, and for me, I always had that kind of that idea as a coach and as a GM when I was, when I was with St. Mike's, when I was with Oshawa, what was really interesting was when I became a scout with the Penguins, um, what I, what I soon realized that we had guys, you know, that were first round NHL draft picks that were not necessarily on our list for various reasons because they didn't fit the identity that the club and the organization wanted. So, and I like that because it just, because it builds, uh, it draws a line in the sand as to who you are and what you're all about. And I think once you start doing that, you know, you re, you make a, you make a statement that, you know, maybe, you know, your club, your organization, your team isn't for everybody and that's okay. Totally true. And I think especially important, for organization for every organization but in particular for those that may not have the the capital the resources or the or in call you know the the facilities or the sexiest logo to go out and just pick off the top player on the ice sheet that they're they're watching i I would argue those those teams should also be trying to create that identity and, and and stick to it but if you're i think that's the ticket for everybody else to find those marginal gains and to, to be able to make up the gap between them and, and some of the other teams or organizations that may have more resources and some, some distinct advantages in building a team. Because I think at every level there are, it's not an equal playing field probably at any level when it comes to trying to uh, evaluate and then uh, recruit and select talent. So when, when you can be really, I believe, really clear on, on who you are, as a team and, and where you place value, um, then you don't, you also don't get, you're less likely to get distracted. Like, okay, there's a shiny object. Oh, well, you know what? There's, there's 20 other guys looking at that object too, but right. maybe there's, there's something that's more your, your fit. And there's only a couple of guys looking at that object. Um, so I think, you know, that's a way to make up some ground over time, uh, building your organization. Without question, and and you you mentioned two guys earlier, who are your college roommates, um, who are two of the best captains I've ever coached. You know, they were back to back captains on with my teams and the buzzers, and you know, were they were they the the uh, the best skaters or the most you know skilled? But they just were warriors and character guys and great leaders, and you know, they were good extensions of what I wanted in the culture in the dressing room. And Tony Denunzio and Mark Lotzi, and uh, you know, I just think you know, for me, it like. I, I let them kind of be who they were. So the team understood then the fact that they were the captains at their, in their respective senior years with me, then the rest of the team understood they're captain for a reason. So their, you know, their leadership and their style and their work ethic and their character kind of, you know, kind of led the way. And, you know, we, we had some talent, you know, we had some talent, but certainly I wanted the talent to know that you got to work hard as well. Yeah. And, and dealing with captains. So like, those two great leaders, great people, but different people. Their personalities are different, and and every yeah. captain you have is different. And you know how like, and I find that year in and year out, like it's always so fun 
for me when, you know, you know, you, you bring in, you have a new captain, new leadership group, but there's a whole process involved of getting to know them now in this new role. Uh, you know, I guess that, you know, I'm curious to know when, when you're dealing with your leaders like that, like, um, how do you, how are some ways that you, you kind of get to know them and then like leverage their strengths? And then how do you go about, uh, you know, maybe surrounding them with some supporting personalities to, to, to help them be, be the best that they can be as the captain? Yeah. Great question. Um, it's always a challenge. Like I say, every year it's new. And, you know, if the, if there's a turnover in that, in that, um, in that leadership role, um, my experience, I've, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of dealing with a different, I was dealing with a different age than certainly where you're at and dealing with the college hockey player. And so you develop a relationship, but that, you know, it was more from like almost like a, a, a teacher student kind of relationship. And then when they get old enough, then you can kind of get it to the point where you, you're, you're, you're placing some leadership uh, responsibilities upon them and, and kind of, you know, depending upon who that person and their personality is, right? Um, how that gets looked at or how that gets developed, I think it becomes um, a process. And I think where it gets tested is the first sign of adversity. And that adversity could be, you know, uh, breaking curfew. It could be a five-game losing streak. It could be not working hard practice and you you know, you want to, you want to skate them to, you know, however that adversity hits itself, you know, that captain will, it'll, it'll affect that captain based on their personality and where they're at. Um, I'd be able to se select leaders for, for who they are as leaders. And then as a coach, it's, I think it's incumbent upon the coach to be able to work with that leadership group. If you feel that they are the leaders, then you work with them to make sure that they're extensions of, of the staff that, and being able to convey the culture back through to the room. Yeah, that's a great point. I just want to switch gears a bit and talk a little bit about your experience uh, in Lugano and from a strictly player development standpoint, did you notice anything different uh, in Europe and how they're going about developing their players, whether it be at the pro or even in the junior level, because with the organizations and the club system in Europe, how they've got their, their youth hockey through junior through pro with the same organization. Um, what are, what are some things that stood out to you in your experience there? Yeah, you know what that there that that whole the system like you say from from the like they call it the first first team all the way down almost like in soccer but they got the first first team all the way down. Um, the, as coaches of the first team, we we kind of we were separate in a way, but we were kind of there to you know be around. But the the consistency there is um, you know the the club um, had a, a skills coach. I worked with our club and all the way right down to the kids. So there's a, there's a consistency with respect to that. And, and the amount of time that they spend on skating skills, puck handling. Um, and it, it was, it was amazing. You know, ice time wasn't an issue. Um, they'll, they'll practice more than they'll play. And, you know, like at least in Switzerland, the, the, the skating and the skills were paramount um, in terms of how they teach. And you can see it and even as the, as the kids, as they got older from minor hockey all the way to the junior to, to the pros. So what would, after that experience coming back, I mean, what, if you could wave your wand and, and, and change some things with Hockey Canada, or if you're familiar with the USA hockey, you know, development model at all, um, what are some things that you would want to pull from that experience and, and make, you know, see us doing more, more of in North America? 
I think it would be great if organizations, minor hockey organizations, would kind of have the same mentality and 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 not have as much movement um, and have a developmental model within an organization um, as it fits into the greater scheme. Like you say, you know, USA Hockey or Hockey Canada being being in line with the, the respective uh, organizations, but creating some sort of vision that a young kid can look and say, I want to be in organization X because this is what they stand for. And I'm, you know, and they're not just bouncing from team to team chasing championships and, and you know, promises from coaches by time and power play and all that stuff. Just, you know, um, I, I just think there, there has to be some sort of, uh, of, of responsibility placed back to the organizations to, to kind of teach those kinds of lessons as well. Yeah. So when you're coaching players, you're coaching people and, and whether it's John Tavares or, you know, the, the third line right winger on, on your son's midget team, um there's still people in, in your experience across all these levels different continents different roles as an assistant coach head coach administrator management and so forth i mean can you point to any sort of leadership truths that you that you just fundamentally believe like when you're dealing with people um it needs to be done this way yeah yeah, you know what, like, and I think you, first off, human nature is human nature, whatever industry, whatever level you're at, I think just, we're all, um, human nature is human nature. Um, I just think open, open and honest communication is key. Um, and I think you have to know your athletes in terms of when you're dealing with them um, at the stage that they're at, where they're at, um, how, how the, you know, the magnitude of that open and honest conversation. It doesn't always have to be blunt, doesn't always have to be evasive. It just sometimes, you know, you, you want to be able to provide video to be able to show. Uh, sometimes it's a, it's a verbal, you know, just a, a short chat. Sometimes it's a longer chat, depending upon, you know, what's going on. But I just believe being open and honest um, moves the relationship forward, keeps the relationship real. And um, at times it may not necessarily always be pleasant to the player, but at least you hope that there's an understanding of respect from the player back to the coach. But I think by being open and honest, the coach is always, or the, the leader, the, the, you know, the GM or the manager or whatever is always respecting the player to be open and honest. Cause it's the old saying in terms of, you know, do you want to, do you want me to tell you what you want to hear? Or do you want me to tell you the truth? And that's born out of respect. And um, so I think that's, yeah, that's, that to me is, is, is a, is a constant truth regardless of 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 50 years ago to today. And we'll, we'll continue on, I believe. Yeah. A couple comments to that. Like the first one is I think people are actually can handle the truth better than, than some you may think at times. Right. And um, so there's that, but then also the better your connection is with the person uh, and the better you've, you've, communicated with them and gotten to know them and 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 there is that respect is that they know it's coming from right. a place of respect they they tr there's trust and they they believe in you and um even though they may not love the message all the time um you know they know it's you're doing it with their best interests um in mind so um you know that's that's terrific stuff uh, the last thing that that i wanted to touch on here is when you look at your journey and the different moves you've made in your coaching career uh you know you've taken some some risks along the way and um 
So when, when you're talking to coaches or younger coaches that, you know, you're assessing opportunities that might be there or staying where you are, um, you know, cause there's a lot of, you know, I guess, you know, a lot of assistant coaches want to be head coaches and there's sometimes there's, there's a feeling of sometimes the grass is greener somewhere else, or, or you want to be in the NHL or whatever it might be. Like when it comes to evaluating and assessing opportunities in coaching, do you have, do you have a process to that? Or like, how would you advise somebody to go through that? I don't know if I have a process to be honest with you, TJ. It's, um, it's, it's a feel. Um, I've always kind of guided myself on, I want to be, I want to go to a situation where I feel that I'm going to be able to, contribute my best and um i don't that's why i don't believe you know some people think it's a risk or you know saying hey i've taken risks um but i i when you believe in yourself and you and you have and it feels right it's not really a risk because you you just you're going to move forward and I, I think those are the things i think from again almost like a human nature perspective in anything it's just if you believe in yourself and you know you have that uh that ability to say, Hey, you know what, this is what I like to do. This is what I love to do. And this is what I, you know, I'm going to move forward. And, you know, we just, this is what we're doing. And, and um, so I, I don't know if there's, a, I don't have a process and I don't have a checklist. Um, it's a feel um, the moves I've made have been, you know, have been basically based on feel and the moves I haven't made that, you know, that aren't as public um, were based on feel as well. Um, and I think that's part of, you know, I think that, uh, you know, I can look back on some of the things that I didn't, take or go to is based on feel and uh you know just for whatever reasons and you know you, you look back on them and you say okay they were what they were and and you know the, the moves you, you chose to make it you know for the right reasons at the time you know there's a i was listening to a podcast about you know on this it was last summer and it was the guy who created uh, the you know the app waves not uh, ways sorry yep. ways sure and, and he talked about you know there's no such thing as a bad decision you either make a good decision or no decision. And he said, you make a good decision because at that time, the decision you make for the reasons you make so it's good. When you make that decision, what happens afterwards, sometimes bad things happen, but that didn't make the decision you made back then bad. It was still good at that time. So that's the way I look at it. So if you put yourself on the other side of the desk, you put your general manager or athletic director hat on, and, and you're evaluating your coaches on your staff, whether, um, you know, whether it's at St. Mike's or somewhere else, um, you know, or if in your case, I guess when you're the GM, you were also the head coach. So you probably had a pretty good re relationship with, with your coach. Someone's but, uh, yeah. Control <laughs> freak, right? Yeah. Uh, but I mean, what, you know, what would you be looking for really wanting to see out of, out of the coaches under your charge? Well, I get, it goes back to the organizational philosophy, what it is, um, and then having, you know, somebody to be able to execute on that philosophy. Um, and like any relationship, you can have disagreements, but as long as there's a respect and, a, and, a, and an opportunity to continue moving the needle forward, um, that's what I'm big on. I'm big on progress. I'm big on moving forward. So I think that that's what I'd be looking for. Um, I'd be looking for that somebody to be able to execute on the philosophy that, uh, that we're, you know, we're trying to, uh, implement within the organization. Um, however, you know, he, he's going to have his own, uh, ways in which to do that. And I, I gotta, you know, if I'm going to hire somebody to be able to be a, a head coach or a coach, then I've got to give them that opportunity, you know, to showcase that. Yeah. Well, that's terrific. And, 
Chris, I could talk to you all day about this stuff and I, I feel like I've, I've learned a ton and um, it's really neat uh, to talk to you and, uh, you know, and looking back to, to where it all began and um, in my memory bank anyways, remember back when I was, you know, just uh, trying to break into junior hockey is probably right around when, when I started to really know you and, um, you know, I've always appreciated, um, you know, our, our relationship and, and I think anybody who, who listens to you today will um, we'll, we'll pick up a great deal. So um, thank you very much for your time. Thank you, TJ. Much appreciated. Good to reconnect.